Mom, like... steak, steak. No, I'm all right. But it's cookies and cream. Yeah, but I have a severe anxiety problem, sweetheart. And when I'm, I eat I'm too much. Have, I'm going to have cake for breakfast. No, go for it. You do you. You, you, you can do that, you know. <laughs> Some people can drink every day and deny their alcoholism. That's my strong point. <laughs> Some people can eat cake for breakfast, you know. <laughs> Sorry, you can't hang. I can't. I just, I get too wound up. You can eat cake and then go to bed 30 minutes later. I eat cake and I'm 2 o'clock in the fucking morning trying to come up with new break beats on GarageBand. I thought like I'm about... going to finally kick off my rap career. Bread and breakfast! <laughs> I thought about making, uh... Or not making, but getting ice cream last night because I was having a sweets craving. But all we have is just plain vanilla ice cream. But we do have chocolate syrup. And I was like, I could drown it in chocolate syrup and make it slightly tastier. You can go for it. I did not because this was last night. But it was tempting because who needs, you know, more sugar on their sugar? I do. <laughs> I need more sugar on my sugar. Well, I had an interesting day, but we'll get into that yeah, in just cares. one second. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, <laughs> presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch, Kristen Bloom, my spectacular wife. <laughs> love you. And we're here to do another edition of Two, 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 I Love You More. Star, 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 two, 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 days, 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 days. And today it's 2012's Boobs, a movie. A uh, house <laughs> at the end of the street. <laughs> uh, I did not write that on these notes No, I knew I was going to make that joke And it'll come up later um, Oh boy <laughs> um, Before we get into that, you know what I did? What did you, you know do? how I ner have this nervous uh, habit Of chewing my fingernails? Mm -hmm. And you know how I have a chipped tooth? Mm -hmm. I chipped it the rest of the way today Oh no! Fun game! Where? Uh, eh. Okay It was half of my tooth was chipped at the bottom And now my whole tooth is chipped at the bottom Okay so if I sound that? funny, because I didn't expect you to get a dental oh, exam babe. on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> I was just sitting there waiting on my game to load. Chip, chip. Ah, oh. Does it hurt? No. It feels weird in my mouth. Huh. And so if I sound a little funny, it's because my tongue's still getting used to the shallowness of my, my tooth. Oh, I'm sorry. I blame Josh Brown. I, have, uh, <laughs> I had braces for like a good year. And I have a slightly crooked tooth. Yeah. And, um... I have a slightly cooked truth. They gave me one of those stupid clear plastic retainers yeah. uh, after I got my braces off, and I hated that thing. And I accidentally left it like sitting where a dog could get a hold of it, mm -hmm. and the dog ate it. Same story. And I was afraid I was going to get in trouble, so I didn't tell my mom. Yeah. So I think maybe a month went by where I didn't have a retainer, so my tooth turned back a little bit, but it was like straight up sideways in my mm -hmm. mouth when I was a kid. It was really bad when I was a kid, but the back corner. Yeah. It's chipped because it was turned inward, so when I would eat, that inside mm -hmm. corner would get, like, yeah. worn down. So, yeah. I have a chipped tooth, too, but it's because I had a super, <laughs> super, super crooked tooth for a while there. Yeah, I was helping Josh move the stuff into the, the new Tolliver's Poly Pawn Shop mm -hmm. uh, when we did the big move, and we were setting up the shelving units, and he dropped the shelf on the back of my head, which drove my face into my knee and chipped my tooth. and. And my nervous habit broke in today and killed the rest of it. So. Yeah. Uh, the I, I hate to bring it to you guys, but 
uh, brainstorm. Brainstorm is the last time you're going to see my teeth looking that pretty. (laughs) 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 But let's get into it, sweetheart. 2012's House at the End of the Street. Can't wait. Can't understand what happened here. Uh, Let's do it. I don't even know why it's bad. Like, we're going to try to get there. I vaguely kind of know what I don't like about it. Um, So, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes score of 13% from the critics, 41% from the audience. IMDb was feeling a bit more generous with a 5.6. Yeah. I'm going to sit probably solidly at a 40. I'm going to go way below that. I think I'm I'm, I'm in my 20s. You know, I'm above the critics. You did not like that at all. I didn't. For multiple reasons. All right, then. Um, this was directed by Mark... I had faith in it, and then I watched... Go ahead. I had they faith watched. in it, and then I watched interviews with the director, Mark Tundarari. Tundari. Um, who directed a couple of episodes of the TV show Gotham. Fun yeah. fact for you there. Did The Five? Did Hush? Um, this was written by David Luca. David Luca. Yeah, Luka. sure. He did the screenplay, and then uh, Jonathan Mostow, mm-hmm. Mostow, I don't know, did the story. Uh, I didn't really see anything that I knew from either of them. This was produced by Film Nation Entertainment hmm. and distributed by Relativity Media, which I'm pretty sure we've done something from. They had a shitload of credits. I clicked on them, and I was like, every movie they've done, I've heard of. So yeah, I didn't. I, honestly blanked on thinking to look them up so I didn't look them up but uh yeah I know I know that name for sure it's had a budget of 6.9 million box office of 44.1 yeah my understanding of the box office was this was delayed for a while as a general general Jennifer so Lawrence project so yeah. that Hunger Games could hit first so it was in the middle of that holy fuck who is this chick yeah <laughs> and I want to say I definitely looked it up earlier. It was like two years consecutively, very early into her career. She was the highest grossing actress of all yeah. time. I believe it. She's damn good. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm going to say this movie probably got watched because she was in it. Yeah. I don't know that this movie was good because she was in it. <laughs> no, but if you watch any of the interviews, he quickly goes, well, we got Jennifer Lawrence. And it's like, it was a financial success. <laughs> like he subverts I read like four different interviews and watched one 15 minute interview with him and uh, I don't want to say he's arrogant because I don't want to like shit talk him as a person but he came off arrogant in the one that I watched and he seemed advert uh, arrogant uh, still in the written form <laughs> I mean it was he was like, it was, it, it was executed properly, and Jennifer Lawrence is a great actress, and it's like, I'm not saying that... Right now. I, I have mixed feelings about Jennifer Lawrence. I think she crushes when she's cast appropriately. Mm-hmm. Like, Hunger Games was her role. Yeah. For sure. Can't picture anybody else. Um, I think she has definitely been cast in things that were not appropriate for her because she skyrocketed to stardom so suddenly, yeah. and... Hollywood likes to do that. Do you think that's because she was still grabbing scripts for security? Because she wasn't sure how Hunger Games was going to play out? No, I think um, in general, when there's a new, like, hot celeb that, you know, audiences are, like, hungry to see more of, they just get more offers in general. So Mm -hmm. I don't think... 
I don't think it's necessarily her fault for accepting those roles. I think most people, especially early in their yeah. career, are trying to keep the momentum going. But I know... Um, it's not like Nicolas Cage trying to get out of his tax evasion. No. You know, he's like, like, all... Con Air was awesome, and then I did 35 movies. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of movies in general where I feel like the actors or actresses that get cast are mostly cast because of who they are. And, yeah. like, they're either not age-appropriate or they're just honestly not the right, like, type for that role. Mm-hmm. And not shitting on her, she is a good actress. But, yeah, she's she's been cast in some things that weren't things she should, probably should have been cast in, to be honest. Um, but anyway, so, cast? The cast. Jennifer Lawrence. Who's that bitch? <laughs> she plays Alyssa... Uh, uh, Alyssa. Alyssa Cassidy. She's our main character. Uh, as we just discussed, she was in the Hunger Games. She is of Hunger Games She's been fame. In a shitload is she of the stuff, little Asian girl? Yes. Okay, that is cool. Her. And then you got Max. Wow. Thoreau? Max the Riot. Max <laughs> Thoreau. Max T H I E R I O T. I'm going to call him Max the Riot. And if he doesn't okay. take that name and use it for the rest of his career, Max, you're dead to me. And he's played by Ryan Jacobson. Uh, or he is playing Michael. God damn it, my tooth. I can't get my words out. Ryan <laughs> Jacobson. <laughs> He's our creepy neighbor kid who lives in the quote-unquote abandoned house next door. He was in Bates Motel. He played Norman Bates's older brother. He was brilliant in that one as well. Very complex character, never addressed in the film. So it was like a, a unique take, and it really drives the plot line. Like he like grows pot for pot people. I haven't seen Bates Motel. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's a fantastic show. Uh, and then there's Bobby Osborne, plays the younger version of him. Then you've got El- Elizabeth Shue <laughs> as Sarah Cassidy. Uh, she's our mom to uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character. She has done quite a bit of work herself. Oh, yeah. This is a bit of a throwback, but it was like instantly the <laughs> second I saw it on her profile. I was like, that's what I know her from. She was in Hollow Man. She was in Hollow Man. Uh, she was in the Back to the Future movies. She played the girlfriend uh, hmm. to Marty McFly. Um, she was also in my favorite dark comedy, Hamlet 2. Simply because she's Elizabeth Shue. She plays herself, and uh, Elizabeth Shue is the art director's favorite actress and so he sees her and he can't even speak and he's like elizabeth shoe <laughs> just love the way your name sounds elizabeth shoe uh, and then we've got gil bellows plays uh officer bill weaver he's our cop character that gets stabby stabbed uh he was in shawshank redemption which one was he i don't know i didn't write it down i, I can't even picture his face <laughs> i ignored him as a person so uh, good job. He was probably one of the random guards, you know, not Percy, uh, not. Let's find out. I feel like he had a prominent role in Shawshank. Well, there were only like five guards. They were pretty prominent throughout the film, but he wasn't Tom Hanks and he didn't play Maybe Percy. Maybe he was Tom Hanks. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe he's a chameleon. I, I hope he's the old man with the. Tommy. He plays Tommy. Well, that brings it all back. Vivid, <laughs> clear as mud. Uh, yeah, I can't help you. I don't know. I'm also, I do this every time those two movies come up. Tom Hanks wasn't in the Shawshank nope. Redemption. He was That's in the Green Mile. I, can, I, can, I always confuse those two <laughs> fucking movies. Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman film. Yep. I remember the guards even less. In that You're movie. racist. I'm not a racist. How am I a racist? <laughs> Morgan Freeman looks nothing like the big black bodybuilder dude in the overalls. It's in the green mile. <laughs> and I'm white. 
Tom Hanks doesn't look like all of us. I wish he did. <laughs> um, and then our next one is Eva Link. She plays Carrie Ann Jacobson. Was our quote-unquote sister character. Hell yeah. Did you know her from anything? No, she hadn't done anything I was familiar with. And then you got Grace Tucker Dugaway as young Carrie Ann. And then the rest of these motherfuckers are side characters, so I didn't even look up what they'd been in. You've got Nolan, Gerard Funk as Tyler Reynolds. He's our douchebag kid at the party who tries to get it on with Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> and then you got Allie McDonald as Jillian. She's just our random friend who isn't really relevant to the story. <laughs> Jordan Hayes as Peggy Jones. She's our Penn State girl who oh. also is Carrie Ann. barely relevant <laughs> to the story. Krista Bridges as Mary Jacobson. That's Ryan's dead, dead mom. No, oh, no. And John Healy as John Jacobson. Jiggleheimer Schmidt. His name is my name, too. He's also dead, too. Yeah. Whenever I will shout, people will run out and say, John Jacob, go take a shit. Da, 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 da. I don't think that's how it goes. I, I, I forgot yeah. the words. Uh, Tough my shtick. Synopsis? Yeah, go for it. Synapsis? Synapsis. You explain to me what the hell happened for the first hour of this hour and a half long film. Fantastic question. (laughs) So. A lot of, oh, they're going. No, they're not. Jennifer Lawrence and this bitch move into a new house (laughs) because they lived on a block where they got shot at. Mm -hmm. And then turns out neighborhood kid is cray cray because his whole family is dead dead. Why are you talking Because like uh, I can. Okay. Because I'm breaking it down for you. Go down. Break uh, it down. Yeah, basically Jennifer Lawrence and her mom move into a house that they got for real cheap because the house next door is supposedly abandoned because the whole family got murdered. Yeah. Turns out Kind of like the Amityville Horror. Yeah. Turns out the son lives in the house still. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence gets the hots for him. Mm-hmm. Turns out the son grew up as a girl. Yeah. And uh, is not actually a girl and wants to be a boy. So he keeps kidnapping girls to play his dead sister so he can be a real boy. Much like that very classic horror film of completely Sleepaway Camp. Not from It's an 80s cult film. It's pretty cool. <clears throat> that helps me none. I know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, basically we find out Ryan's been kidnapping people and keeping them hostage in the basement of his old home because he accidentally got his baby sister killed when they were kids because his parents were drug addicts. They were swinging on a swing. She fell off the swing because they were holding hands and busted her head and died. And then his parents made him live out the rest of his days as his sister. Staring at a tree. Until he <laughs> killed his family. And somehow the townspeople fell for the lie that the sister killed them but they never found her body so they believe she's like a feral cat running around in the woods yeah and brian just came back from living with his crazy aunt and now he's kidnapping people makes complete logical sense it's because of the iphone threes the movie makes about as sense as that garbage <laughs> rendition of it just yeah, then. It, it was actually pretty accurate. <laughs> and at the end, instead of killing him, he winds up in an institution. Yeah. So where do you want to kick it off? Oh, there's a lot of fucking fluff in this movie. <laughs> Let's do this. A lot of fucking fluff. So <laughs> Literal my... note says, learn to cut the fluff. I, my note should have been, what the fluff. What the fluff. Holy um, fluff. <laughs> Um, this yeah. is unholy fluff. Yes, it is. 
my biggest problem with this movie for sure is that it is actually kind of a cool concept and it mm-hmm. gets buried under a lot of nothing. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. This podcast in particular might be slightly more negative. I've had a rough couple of weeks. And I, I listened to the dude's interviews. I, I, I set out with a notepad to listen to his take on it and the denialism where he's like, I just don't think they get it. And it's like, no, uh, we don't. No, I get it. I just it's like, think... did they not look at her hoodie and realize that that was her dad's favorite band? And it's like, I don't remember her having a dad. I, I don't... I don't remember her having clothes on. I don't remember you. Yeah. No, I, I remember a lot of side boob. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, no, so, like, I think, like, the thing that bugs me about this movie is it is actually kind of a cool premise. If you pitch the idea to me, um... This kid grows up in this negligent mm-hmm. household because his parents aren't watching him and his baby sister. He accidentally, and I don't know that we can really blame him. His sister's swinging yeah. too high on a swing and falls off. And it happened. he blames himself, yeah. I guess, because they were holding hands and he feels like maybe he accidentally pulled her off. And children tend to blame themselves, so whatever. I don't think it's really his fault. But mm-hmm. you grow up in a ne- negligent household. Your parents tell you it's your fault and you're very young. When it happens, you're going to grow up thinking it's your fault. He snaps mentally, um, kills his family, and, you know, his family leading up to this point has been making him pretend to be the daughter because they, I don't know, are mourning the loss of the daughter or whatever. And then he tricks the whole town into thinking his sister did it, comes, cleans himself up, comes back and is still mentally out there because he slaughtered his whole Mm -hmm. family and he's been traumatized his whole life and And everybody keeps calling him a freak yeah and everybody the outsider yeah Yeah, everybody makes makes no sense if his sister's the one who killed everybody (laughs) yeah you know he comes back to this town he's traumatized and he has this need to have his baby sister there because he his identity is fucked up because he had to grow up living as his baby sister like like that's an interesting premise that's Mm. actually pretty cool it's like Psycho, but with the sister instead of the mom. But his mom didn't make him be him. No. He so, did that on his own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's a compelling argument for this character being really out there. Mm-hmm. And, like, out of touch with the reality. And this being kind of this cool concept of him, like, on the outside keeping it buried. But he's got this dark secret in his literal basement. Um... But then we have all this other shit in the movie that has nothing to do with anything. Like, why does it matter that Jennifer Lawrence plays guitar? Because Jennifer Lawrence wanted guitar lessons and this sad sap was going to pay for them. Like, literally, we build up to this moment where she's going to play Battle of the Bands just so Ryan can show up in town... Get his ass kicked. And then break a kid's leg, mm-hmm. and she can steal his car, and the inevitable payout for this is that she ends up in Ryan's house alone so that she can discover the girl in the basement. Yeah. after putting out a fire that would have been a lot more compelling than the entire ending of the film. Yeah, and like, yeah. that's so much fluff just to get to Jennifer Lawrence is in this house alone. When we've already established, she lets herself in just yeah. willy-nilly. She just walks up to the side door and is like, oh, I'm coming in. And then just starts poking around and finds dead sister's room. And she's like, oh, I guess I should have asked before I came in here. Huh? You know, like, I don't know why I'm in the basement right now, yeah. not walking around the ground floor looking for him. Yeah, like we've already established. Yo, she's... your house is on fire. 
You left your car. I don't know how you would be here. Yeah. Well, we've already established she's a character that doesn't uh, acknowledge boundaries of any kind. Yeah. yeah. So she could have just stumbled up into this house at any point for any reason and not needed all this extra side shit with these, like, side characters that didn't matter. Like, these friends she made at school didn't matter. This band competition didn't matter. Like, her... Shots of her singing didn't matter. Like, we could have just done this. She played outside on the porch. She's like, oh, yeah. I heard you singing. And that was just how they that met. That would have been enough. Yeah. It would have established so much more of her character rather than her mom, who's obviously not a real drunk, you know, playing a drunk. You know? Yeah, maybe <laughs> like, she's... Why did the tension at the dinner table matter? How did that move anything forward? Because that's what I noticed a lot and what I was thinking about when you brought up Fluff is... You have these pivotal moments that would have been really cool character developments, but they're so shallow and base level. Like the, we're going to light the house on fire, which lasts for 10 seconds, yeah. and then she easily puts out the house fire. Or the dinner table scene where she calls her mom out for being a lush and a divorcee for no reason. That just mm-hmm. quickly ends the dinner. It doesn't blow up the dinner. Like it. And like her mom, it's like kindling. Like her, it doesn't explode. Yeah, and her mom like hanging on to her ex husband's lighter, and she's yeah. nervous and fidgety and plays with it. And that weird awkward moment where uh, her daughter's cooking the dinner, and like Jennifer Lawrence basically implies she's never really been a mom and never really made dinner for her. Or whatever. And she's like, I learned it from dad. And the mom's like bitter about it. Like, oh, you learned how to boil spaghetti Good for you. You know, like. Hey, don't hate on my boiling spaghetti. That's my plan immediately <laughs> after this podcast. But, but I mean, that's what happens in the movie, yeah. though. And it's like. It's like, oh, you learned that great life lesson should be juxtaposed with what lesson did you learn from your mom? Because her mom becomes the white knight at the end of the yeah. film and hits dude over the head with a hammer. But I don't give a shit about their relationship because I don't know anything about the mom or anything but negativity well, against a, a over-sexualized 17-year-old and her mother. <laughs> well, I would be fine with the negativity between the mother and daughter. What bothers me is... That we have negativity between the mother and daughter that's never really established why. Yeah, there's no expansion we, even in the, this is my story about, you know, my sister on a swing set. What is your story? Like, yeah. I'll show you my scar, you show me yours type. Yeah, like we know her mother thinks the father is a deadbeat dad, but we never hear her talk about her dad negatively. So is she closer to her dad? Where like, is he? <laughs> yeah, like why is she living with mom now like was she living with dad before and then like her playing on the porch could have just been her kind of a lonely kid in a new town moment like we don't need she was in a band back in the day in her yeah. old town gonna get the band back together yeah and we don't need the battle of the bands bullshit How you or any of that the battle of the bands like you're maybe, brand new you a solo act in the battle of the bands it's a band you're we're not well, a no, band she you're joins up with those person. random high school kids that aren't oh, relevant to the rest of the story never get brought up yeah. again and like, They're just the antithesis of the bullies that serve one purpose. Yeah, and that could have easily been something as simple as, like, her dad raised her most of her life, her dad gave her her guitar, yeah. and so that's a fond memory for her, and then similar to mom can't let go of the lighter, she kind of clings to the guitar for comfort, and mom and daughter are trying to navigate, like, learning to have a relationship yeah. with each other, and then 
maybe mom because she knows daughter doesn't respect her is then overbearing for the relationship with Ryan mm-hmm. because the mom's trying to assert that she is a parental figure. And the wild shit is when I was doing my little bit of research on my side doing the interviews and shit, um, it turns out the guy who wrote this fucking thing is like 70 years old. Like it, it reads like a 15 year old's take. And I'm sorry, sir. Like I understand that might have come off a bit harsh. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> but this, ta- the, the, this, different this reads like, form. yeah, it, 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 the writing plays out like a sophomore in high school trying to write about what would happen to a 22 year old. And it's like, no, you're really stuck in this cycle that, goes away the second you walk across that stage (laughs) and we we have like dumb typical like they may be true things that happen to high school girls but dumb typical like aside moments that high school girls go through like the douchebag neighborhood kid who has the wealthy family who tries to sleep with her sleep with her at the party she doesn't like him and then he thinks she's a bitch because she yeah. wouldn't fuck up. What him. are you, a whore? Yeah. I'm going to say that you're fucking everybody. It's like, bro, it, if you're ever jealous of a dude who's pissed off at a girl, right? This is Brett's little take on toxic masculinity. You can't call a woman who won't fuck you a whore. Yeah. It, it, kind of uh, If she fucks opposite. you and then never answers your phone call, I give you one whore in an emotional outburst if you felt a connection to no. that woman. To yourself or your close friends, you All can't. Right. Oh, yeah, you can't no. just go around. But you can't go. You're a whore because you won't suck my dick. And it's like I think you're a little fucked up there, homeboy. <laughs> well, like what bugs me about that is that's another kind of ridiculous aside that's not necessary. We waste time going to this barbecue so we can meet this kid and see how fascinating yeah. he is swimming with the children and taking care of the children, and he raises money. And then we go to the party, and they're all just drinking, and then we find out he's a douchebag. And, again, the ultimate payoff to that is later on when Ryan comes to the Battle of the Bands, which really isn't an important part of the story, the same kid confronts Ryan. He's like, oh, you're fucking her, aren't you? You know, she sleeps with anyone, doesn't she? And we could have just left that as the kids in town think he's a bit of a creep. Yeah, or you push that whole storyline up. You make him do that in front of everybody in daylight. You get the little shove, shove, fuck you. And then you establish why they would attack his car later on in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, if you had expanded that too. But like, I I just feel like that side character is unnecessary, period. Mm -hmm. We don't need this douchebag boy. Like, we could have just established in general the town all thinks he's kind of creepy and kind of weird and they don't really want him there. Yeah. And high school kids are bullies, so they act yeah. out. Probably because like he's a 32-year-old high school student. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a college student. Remember? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is he dating a 17-year-old? What? Yeah. How old She's, was Jennifer She was Lawrence? in high school still. That's statutory rape. Mm-hmm. Given his um, relationship with the local town sheriff, I have some questions. But yeah, it's it's just a lot of shit like that. Like, and the parents just, like, the opening sequences of the parents seeming like perfectly normal parents just in bed. They hear a noise. Mom goes out into the hall and she doesn't snap. She doesn't yell. She's just like, what are you doing? Go back to bed. And she bends over to try yeah. to clean up the mess and then gets stabbed. And, like, <laughs> it seems like a perfectly, like, normal family other than the stabby, stabby child. Yeah. 
Um, it doesn't feel like somebody who would have raised like a mini Charles Manson, yeah. you know, throw him in a dress and laugh at him, send him to school. Like and it doesn't then, feel that depraved. Yeah, and then halfway into the movie, we realize, oh, they're like hardcore addicts and abusive, terrible people. Yeah. And we, at no point, made it feel like that was the kind of parents we were getting in the beginning. Yeah. So it feels like mid-movie we just decided this. Eminem did a better job of derelict parents in his cleaning out my closet music video than these guys did in an hour and a half. But yeah, it's like, it, makes, it makes no sense. It feels like it's just a decision that was made spontaneously halfway into the movie. Yeah. And then now we've kind of got this side story that we didn't bother to develop either. So it seems to, I mean, it, it's one of the issues I have as a writer for most of our two stars is underdeveloped characters, you mm -hmm. know, like include them, include them for a reason, you know, it's like what I say about writing prose. Like if you're going to write the room, write three to five objects that are inside of that room that represent the room. I don't give a shit if it's a 10 foot tall wall, 18 foot across, don't care. Yeah. Tell me that there's like some fucking elephant, you know, that sits on the desk that belonged to the grandmother of the you know, Holocaust kid. Something, you know, like that. Something very specific that needs to be there for the story. I, she doesn't need to be in a band at all yeah. for this film to work. And, like, to that end, which this is kind of my bigger topic, I guess, but, I mean, it, it makes sense to talk about it now. Like, to that end... There are a lot of very particularly quirky characters in this movie that yeah. are, like, uncomfortably so, but for no real reason in the context that the movie is made. Yeah. Like, I'm okay, hypothetically, with the parents being addicts if we had kind of developed this and explored like how this is traumatized and broken this family and all this stuff yeah if you're willing to go into the addiction yeah like if, if we had developed that section of the story i would have been fine with that but like just kind of having it as like a side note oh also the parents did drugs and then that's it like it's yeah. irritating to no end because it's a very specific trait that these parents have in this town that seems like an idyllic town to live in like these all seem like mm -hmm. very well off people for the most part seems like a community that all really cares about each other and gets along with each other they have little yeah. barbecues and pool parties and all this shit and then we've got a house in the middle of this really nice neighborhood where the parents are like Heroin addicts yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, that nobody would even bring it up. The yeah. sheriff wouldn't be like, yeah, so I pulled your dad over one night, he was on a meth binge, yeah. and he tried to stab me. You know? yeah. <laughs> and like, that's another layer to add to why the town maybe thinks they're kind of creepy. Like, what if the parents had been, n like, well-known dealers or users or had a lab in the house or some shit and so the whole town yeah. kind of is like oh that family's kind of fucked up but can i workshop just... it for a second yeah the, i think the quick and easy move is dad J john jacobson jingleheimer schmidt um maybe ran over one of the high school kids maybe like in her. a dui you know, that establishes the relationship with the police officer. It establishes the dad as the mm -hmm. town fuck-up and enemy. And it establishes all this rage they would have if somebody around his, you know, the high school age had been killed by his dad, you know. I think maybe that would be too big of a subplot, though. Like, that might take on more importance. Well, I mean, the John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt guy is dead. 
so you just be like, why do they hate you? And it's like, oh, you know, like 10 years ago, my dad yeah. got hammered sure. fleeing my drug-addicted mother. Yeah. And, and then, it's a local town story that they can't let go of. Yeah, and then maybe you could establish, like, more reason for why the son supposedly got sent off. Like, oh, yeah. these parents were irresponsible parents. The aunt took, like, ownership of the child mm-hmm. for a while to kind of get him out of that situation. And so the town would find it a bit more believable that this girl that they think is alive that's actually dead killed the whole family like i mean there needs to be so much more development behind these parents who are supposedly these god-awful parents in this small enough town that everybody kind of knows everybody's business like i want everybody to know his parents were users and like that this family was like this parasite on this town yeah i grew up in a city-esque type environment i was in the suburbs basically of nashville you know, um, you didn't know everybody on the street, but you knew a handful of people and you knew whose house you didn't go over to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like, if we there was established... a reason, it's like, yeah, the last time I went over there, the cop showed up because he like bottled his wife. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if we'd established that, like husband's abusive, parents do drugs, like just negligent people in general. And then, yeah, it's no wonder the daughter snapped and killed them, yeah. you know? So like the town, like is a part of kind of this living story and then the son comes back and they're like oh do you think he's as weird as they were you know like so the town like resents him and like we as an audience find that acceptable versus just like oh there are these drug drug users just living in the middle of this beautiful little town and yeah in the opposite (laughs) it's why it works in carrie carrie's easily isolated because her mother is a hyper-religious woman mm-hmm. who lives in what looks like a drug den. And everybody you know? knows that about yeah. her. So she's the freak of the town yeah. because her mom screams at people at Kmart, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, we needed that from these parents. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, don't make them drug dealers at all. Just make them... Or Normal, everyday people yeah. who were killed by their child because their child has a mental illness. Well, yeah. like, even if we had established the daughter died and maybe... They couldn't the overcome. They yeah. couldn't overcome their grief, so they make their son act like a girl because that was their little baby yeah. girl. And that happens. Yeah. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. Well, that's the the origin <laughs> story of Charles Manson. His, his, mo- his, his mother was a prostitute. I believe he was living with his grandfather for a short time who wanted to man him up by putting him in a dress and sending him to his kindergarten class yeah. where the boys beat the shit that's out mean. of him. But yeah, yeah. like... We could have done something like that. Like, the parents just can't accept their own grief, so they turn their son into their little girl. Yeah. And they don't need to do drugs at all. Yeah. It's just Munchausen by proxy. It's scary enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, like... I don't There's just so much weird shit in this movie. Like, it's not overt, but I felt multiple times, like, the brother almost sexualized his quote-unquote uh-huh. sister character. Like, he would put her in these little short little nightgowns and, like, his relationship with her was, like, this, like, desire. Like, I need her to be there and I need her to be around. And, yeah, I want you, but I need her. And it was, like, this weird, like, sexual energy. Yeah. Well, that, that, that goes back, too, to Psycho. Like, his sexual obsession with his mother. This need to keep her alive. But it's so it's so subtle in this movie that it just makes me uncomfortable. Like yeah, it's, it's never there. hammered home. Like at the end where you see that Norman Bates is the one wearing the dress. Like yeah, it, like it's just kind of there, and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. 
Like, why did he yeah. he put that girl in a nightgown and he calls her his sister? So in his mind, that's his sister, and he puts her in this little nightie. It's and he like, drugs oh. her, and he's got to take care of her. And he like strokes her, yeah. and yeah, like this this weird intimate level of obsession with mm. her, which would make sense if he had had to wear the dresses and have the long hair and all this stuff. So he has this weird. If you're curious, by the way, as to why I keep bringing up Psycho in this film it's because he had the gall to call this a Hitchcockian film so I'm going to keep bringing up all the Hitchcock where Hitchcock did it right and you fucked up (laughs) I I love Ernest Hemingway but I will never call call myself (laughs) Hemingway-esque I'll stick my own balls down my throat before I do that. <laughs> like, am I alone in that? Like, you're a writer? Like, do no, I... it is weird. And it, it again, it would make sense if there was a certain correlation. Again, workshop, okay? Because I'm not afraid of mental illness. I'm not afraid to dive into the darker side of people. Turn the dad into a person who was molesting his younger sister. Yeah pass that trait into a second generation. Even, he doesn't know what a normal relationship with his sister is, so yeah. he sexualizes her. Or even, because that's a thing that pedophiles do, they make small children touch each other. The dad yeah. made them be intimate with each other. So, like, it just, like, something to kind of... Yeah. If you're going to go there, go there. Otherwise, yeah. just leave her in her Penn State outfit. Like, yep. don't change her clothes into this weird sexualized child outfit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. No, I, I stand by it. I'm not, you know, pro any of that shit. I read a lot of psychology books and crime books, and I try to get an understanding of it. But if I was going to write a film about Ted Bundy, I can't get rid of the necrophilia. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go there. Your head can go there because people's heads can go there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm okay with, like, the darker... Topics like I'm not okay with the darker topics that aren't flushed out because then they're just uncomfortable. Well, then you're playing with them. It's the problem that we have with mental illness in a lot of these films. It's like, no, that's your ploy, that's your ghost, that's Mm -hmm. a thing that you failed to dive into, which happens again in this film. You know, if you're gonna have a schizophrenic character or you're gonna have a bipolar character, you're gonna have a you know, Munchausen by proxy, aka what's going on in this situation. Read the novels about, or the, not the novels, but the studies. Read the... Ever real people. Yeah. Watch the interviews with them. Understand who they are from a writer's point and then dive into it. You're not more depraved for writing it than they are for acting it out. So fucking do it. You know? You're not actually hurting anybody here. You can terrify an audience with a thing that they're too afraid to look at. That's how you do horror. Yeah, and if I'm going to feel uncomfortable, I want to feel uncomfortable for a reason, not because I'm like, what are you trying to say here? You yeah. know, like, what, what's happening here? Because this is weird. No, there's a reason that Hannibal Lecter is able to manipulate Clarice. It's because he knows, do you still hear the lambs? Mm. <laughs> they didn't pull back the camera and let her not be vulnerable. And I'm sorry if I'm ram. I'm trying oh. not to look at notes and I keep... Oh, sticking my tongue against Still my chip too. Um, but no, like those are those are my two biggest like relationships where I'm like those piss me off because we have these, like I said, unnecessary oh. addict parents and we have this. But the mom daughter relationship between Jennifer Lawrence and her mom—it's just is, weird. 
well, I grew up with an alcoholic dad. My mom is, she's not a teetotaler by any sort, but she drinks on holidays. That's when mom drinks. Like, you, it's rare to catch her with a bottle of wine, even on a Saturday night, you know? Like, she, when she hits it, she hits it, but she hits it very rarely. And my dad was an everyday to the fucking brink, you know, of who he was as a person drunk. So this is not what that looks like in your teenage years. I choked my father out in front of my then girlfriend and my little brother when I was 17 because he was trying to beat the shit out of me. You know, like if you're going to dive into alcoholism in the in the house, dive into alcoholism. Like that's not even what bugs me. Like the side comment about her mom being an alcoholic. It's the continual side comments in general. Mm-hmm. Like Jennifer Lawrence's character seems like a really rude, disrespectful child. Yeah. Um, multiple times throughout the movie, and again, we're not unprodded. Her mom's not like falling yeah. down in the hallway. Yeah. And we're not, for the most part, privy to why she treats her mom so aggressively. And then every once in a little while, her mom explosively responds like the dinner she invites the neighborhood kid over and then treats yeah. the kid like horribly inappropriately, but Jennifer Lawrence, again, is rude to her openly in front of company. Her mom's like, why don't you get that dick? (laughs) It's like, that's No, she's like, she's basically like, you can't be alone together. Like, she's not encouraging it. But, like, she's, like, openly rude to this kid and disrespectful. And then, like, we have these other moments throughout the rest of the movie where she asks the cop for his opinion and then completely ignores the cop's opinion. So, like, throughout a huge chunk of the movie, we have her as this kind of weirdly neutral character to this abuse from her daughter and then spontaneously she lashes out like equally or worse to her daughter and like there's no consistency to it it's like your daughter's just kind of a shithead and you're just kind of a garbage mom and then every once in a while you're just kind of mean back to her and we don't know why yeah and your kids viewpoints on like alcoholism in the household are going to be pretty consistent like I, i rarely forgave my dad for some shit that he said the night before However, my dad at 11 o'clock in the morning was the same as my dad at 11 o'clock at night when he was, you know, bending. <laughs> and we don't need this, like, like He wasn't a nice dude first thing in the morning just because he said some shitty things the night before. <laughs> and we, we don't need this explosive dinner scene to have those moments. Like, mm-hmm. my mom definitely would not have allowed me to be alone in a boy's house while I was still in high school. And if a boy was in my house, the bedroom door had to stay open. I didn't have those same rules. Well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, if your mom is that kind of a mom, because my mom, you know, like I said. grew up in the South, that's pretty. Yeah, like, my mom didn't want me to be hanging alone with boys. And, you know, like, if you grew up in that kind of household, you snuck around and did that shit on the down low. You didn't, like, flaunt it in your mom's face, and your mom didn't make this huge scene over dinner. It was just kind of like, those are the rules. And I'm like, oh, yeah, my mom's, you know, kind of traditional, so... And they wouldn't have blown up on the boy. Yeah, Yeah, no. So it's just this weird... Like, they're just two... Like, sticks of dynamite that occasionally kind of blow up at each other for no reason. And it's like, I... I don't get this relationship. Like, I need to know who Dad was and why we got here. Yeah, the, the, there's no, you know, backdrop to the character at yeah. all. And uh, can we talk about? Granted, Jennifer Lawrence is probably in her twenties. She in this was twenty-two. Movie. I double checked. 
Jennifer Lawrence is 22 in this movie. Uh, can we talk about awkwardly sexualizing what's supposed to be a high school character? Not in a movie about high school, because granted, to be fair, uh, movies like Superbad sexualize quote-unquote high school characters, and these are all adult actors playing these yeah. roles, but it's a movie about the high school experience. So these are teenage boys. And the sexual experiences, and those are typically very awkward yeah. sexual experiences. So these are teenage boys viewing these quote-unquote teenage girls in these movies sexually. Um, but this is a movie... That's basically about adults minus this one kid that's in high school because Ryan's in college. It's about his mom. It's about the cop. Yeah. Uh, about the sister who is a Penn State kid that he kidnaps, so she's in college too. So the only character in this whole movie, basically, that isn't an adult is Jennifer Lawrence's character that we mm -hmm. then spend the rest of the movie sexualizing for no reason and we don't acknowledge that we're doing it. It's not like... It's the creepy dude that's into high school girls. Like, yeah. we're not, like, privy to some, like, this is kind of creepy and uncomfortable, or this is, like, the teenage yeah, there's, experience. There's not like, a voyeuristic aspect to it where, like, he's peeping on her and catches her in a vulnerable Yeah, moment. we, the yeah. audience, are viewing her in a sexual way. It's not the characters. Mm -hmm. It's not, like I said, a high school movie where that's kind of what this is. No, like it's a psychological thriller, and you've sexualized what you've deemed as a 17-year-old. Yeah. And it's kind of weird. Uh, I'll say one word in his defense, and then I'm going to go off on him. Are you ready for it? Mm -hmm. This is pre-Epstein-Weinstein. Uh, yeah. uh, secondarily, fuck that guy. <laughs> because my issue with it is like horror already gets a bad rap for sexualizing women you know yeah. and it, it happens quite frequently especially with your slasher films it's tits and gore that's what people yeah. know it as um, tits butts and gore tits butts and gore but this film uses side boob and cleavage shots as a like enticement as to an, the viewer as an angle yeah you're, you're literally sexualizing what you're telling me as a child. I'm like, and it's I... fucked. Like, if you, again, if it comes from a voyeuristic aspect, from like a, this is super fucked up, like a Halloween, um, I only have Here's five references. Yeah, the opening of um, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween film, where she's having sex with her boyfriend, and you see it from Michael's five year old perspective. Yeah. Yes, that is, you know, a 17-year-old in the bed and Michael's watching them. But, but it's from the perspective of It's from of the, the perspective of a fucking serial killer, and it's not like a jerk-off, you know, like, yeah. moment. Like, this is just, here's Jennifer Lawrence's ass running into the next shot. Here's her boob, you know, like, running yeah. into the next shot. And that's like, what, she's 17. That's what bugs me about this. Because, like I said, like, movies about, like, super bad, for instance, like, when we sexualize actors that were dubbing as teen characters in these movies, like... Those are, um, like, American Pie, which I'm, mm -hmm. I think they're college students, aren't they? Yeah, they're college kids so, on American but, Pie. But still, like, it's from the perspective of we're all yeah. teenagers and we're all a part of this experience and we're all experiencing it together. Or, you know, like you said with Halloween, when it's voyeuristic, it's like the character in the movie is the creep prying. Yeah. So then we're just kind of prying alongside the creep character that's doing the prying. In this movie... Ryan is relatively respectful of Jennifer Lawrence. They sit and stare at a tree, and he, like, shows her how yeah, he... he doesn't make any awkward passes. Yeah. He cranks that dude's ankle all the she way out. She kisses him first, I think. Yeah. Like, he, he 
He doesn't grope her even when they make out. He never sexually touches her in any way. So his character, to that level at least, is a decent yeah, dude. It's a little fucked up that you didn't call it off, but you need it as a, a love line in the film. So I can respect that. Yeah. But the only people viewing Jennifer Lawrence's character in a sexual way is literally just us as the audience. So we have yeah. then been sold by the producers and by the directors and by the people who made this movie... Get after it. That... Go off. I am supposed to be physically aroused by the character that you have told me is a 17-year-old girl in yep. this movie. How fucked up is And that? that's pretty messed up, because, like I said, I would acknowledge that it's a part of the experience mm -hmm. if I'm seeing it from a character's perspective, like you said. This is literally just we've sexualized a girl that I am supposed to think is sexually attractive. Yeah, and is only 22. Isn't that far off as 17? So now but, you're blurring a massive fucking line. Yeah, but at least to that end, like Megan Fox, for instance, in Transformers, like which granted they're in high school at the tail end of Transformers and they're moving into But you Earth see it the from beginning. the perspective of the boy yeah. who has never been laid. Yeah. So when she's washing the car even, which it's is obviously like, hey, check out the hot yeah. chick. It's from the perspective of a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. So me as a man, I can remember how I felt at 17, where it's like, I want to fuck my couch. I would literally... <laughs> that's Megan yeah. fucking Fox. Like, it's not... Yeah, so, and at least in that movie, like, when we see these moments where it's like that, yeah. it's we're seeing it from the perspective of the character that has those feelings. For they didn't her. show Megan Fox getting into an argument with her mom and then flashing side boob to the camera and fucking disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's fucking weird... To tell me that I, period, as an audience member, I'm supposed to be into what's Sold cast as, as a, a seventeen-year-old. Yeah. yeah. So. No, keep going. I want you to hit this. I'm not allowed no, to get I'm... more fucking airplay on sexualizing underage women in this fucking economy. No, that just bugs me in general because, like. I get sexualizing women in horror. I, it's a weird kink thing. It plays into the same mindset that like establishes bondage role play. Like it, it's blood and gore, and it's all consensual. No, it just but bugs. when you again come up with it, you didn't sexualize Carrie. You didn't have to sexualize Carrie. She was sixteen, seventeen years old. See what bugs me about it, and this is the reason stuff like this pisses me off, and it's the reason I wrote it on here. Jennifer Lawrence's character is not aggressively sexualized in this movie, to be fair. She wears a lot of low-cut tops and yeah, uh, very, She dresses like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, and very kind of thin shirts, so we get, like, the full visual of the shape of her boobs. Like, it's not like she's, like, wearing cut-off shorts and yeah. belly shirts and all this crazy stuff. And we don't literally see her nude, we don't see her butt, we don't see anything aggressively sexualized. But the reason shit like this pisses me off is this is early into Jennifer Lawrence's career... Um, she's young, she is attractive, she's, um, you know, a, a good actress too, by all accounts, but we've then stuck her in this movie that has nothing to do at all with her as a sexual being, yeah. and the character that she's supposed to be sexually interested in is not sexualizing her, he sexualizes his sister more yeah. than he sexualizes her, and as an audience, we're supposed to sexualize her, and it demeans the value of females in film period mm -hmm. because then we have movies like the fucking mummy remake where tom cruise that yeah. it's not worth watching tom cruise <laughs> who is uh, 60 yeah like 50 60 years old is cast alongside a leading actress which granted tom cruise looks good for his age so mm -hmm. 
Uh, just seeing them side Saw by side. Saw Brad Pitt shirtless in uh, Hollywood. And <laughs> God, God bless me if I could. I'd kill somebody for Brad Pitt's body. But they didn't pair him with where I'm going right now. So Tom Cruise looks good for his age. Granted, so side by side on the screen, I didn't know how big the age gap was. I knew there was an age gap. I Googled it later because I was curious. The leading lady they cast alongside Tom Cruise in the Mummy remake was in her 20s, I believe. Mm -hmm. He was in his, like, 50s or 60s when they made that movie. And shit like this, when we sexualize a female character that has nothing to do with the story, it's not related to the character's feelings or, like, the other character's feelings in this movie about this character. It's not some weird um, commentary on how we're supposed to feel as an audience. It's literally just... Here's a pretty girl. Here's her tits and ass. Watch my movie. So yeah. then, by the time Jennifer Lawrence is in her 40s, Jennifer Lawrence is no longer going to be a relevant actress because girls half her age are going to be playing alongside men twice their age yeah. because this implies the only value she brought to this movie is that she looks good in a tight shirt. Mm -hmm. And it's her character not, is pretty fucking vapid yeah, in this movie. The best thing Angelina Jolie was ever in was side-by-side side with Brad Pitt and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's my favorite... Girl Interrupted is probably her I best movie. I've never seen that. But I love Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and it's not... It's because the age gap isn't there, and they're both sexy. You know? Girl Interrupted, uh, Brittany Murphy, the yeah. girl that Bodied, yeah, um, yeah. isn't it? Eight Mile as well. Uh, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a long time since I've seen Girl Interrupted. The two of them have, like, a very brief, like, lesbian interaction in that movie just because Brittany Murphy's character is younger and confused and Angelina's character is very bold and out there, yeah. but it's a fantastic fucking movie. Fantastic movie. It's right. about mental illness and that's what we have to hunt it down. It's a I'm, fantastic I'm, movie. I'm down. But, again... Do, do you think that's the Weinstein effect, though? Is that why he sold... And I'm not saying that this was a Weinstein-backed production. I think it's old cinema. Hollywood. It, old Hollywood has it's forever... It's the same thing that killed Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, old, yeah. old Hollywood has forever been um, young, attractive women who looked like Marilyn Monroe. You yeah. know, like, had the, the curves and the big bouncy tits and yeah it's my problem that i have with a lot of films where it's like where are the normal looking people like i can't buy into this story because your makeup never changes you know yeah and like to be fair um most men that don't fit a certain molder than in comedy movies like it you do have to be a yeah, pretty attractive Galifianakis, you know yeah. fat guy with a beard yeah you do have to be a pretty attractive dude to be successful in hollywood too but Men have... Because... There's not a rapey effect. They turn, you know, them into superheroes. You know, like, you get your Sylvester Stallone well, and they, your they Arnold They turn them into the man's man. Like, yeah. old men in Hollywood who have still managed to keep their careers going are still cast alongside young, beautiful, vivacious women because... They're the man's man, and women yeah. want them. And like, That's why it's... I like the Jodie Fosters. It, it, honestly, it's, I have, it's a controversial opinion, but I think classic horror films that are made on next to no budget are the most empowering films for women. You know? <laughs> the women are the heroes. It, there's no sexualization of the main character. There's sexualization of the dumb cheerleader, you know, yeah. that, you know, is in their group, the slutty Gets killed chick, off first. That dies in the first ten minutes. The Drew Barrymore, you know, <laughs> dies at the beginning of Scream. I don't think Drew know. Barrymore was sexualized in that movie, though, either. She was just killed off because she was 
Well, she was at the beginning. Star. She's slowly put, but I think that's Wes Craven's joke. It's like, oh, you want me to make you a film about, no, you're not jerking off to this. Fuck you. This is <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Good luck. You know, yes, her nipples are out as she's running through the woods, but she's covered in blood. Good luck. She's not sexualized. Some I, people find that sexy. Well, you know, me on occasion after a couple <laughs> of beers, but you can only kill so many bitches before uh, you can't kill any more bitches. But no, no, it, I, it bugs I, me. I, I agree with you, and it bugs me. I'm just trying to keep the fire lit under your ass. <laughs> well, we can't stay on this topic We forever. can. We can. No, because we have to make spaghetti. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I just... I. The level of sexualization, oh my god, words, I've had two beers. Sexualization. Yes, yep. that word. I've had that's four beers. That's, I've and I checked my tooth. I've had a beer and a sip. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. Um, that women have to endure in Hollywood just so that they can get good roles is frustrating to me. Even at the behind the scenes level, the type of shit that was expected of you when you were younger just to work as the coffee chick or you know I, did, I, I didn't um while I was acting I never never did any acting that made me feel uncomfortable I did a lot of implied photography I have never done any nudity of any kind um but I've done quite a few photo shoots of implied nudity yeah. so it's like oh like am I wearing a top or am I not wearing yeah. a top you know and like it is frustrating cause me you, too if it makes you feel any better <laughs> <laughs> It is frustrating because if you do it once ever, like people ask you a bunch in general, and the one time you're finally like, all right, fine, let's do a stupid yeah, artsy black two, and white top. Uh, yeah, I need two fifty, you know, or somebody to call me pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the first time you do it, then that's all anybody ever is like, yeah, you want to take your clothes off for that? I'm like, no, I don't. I really, really don't, to be honest. And that's a part of the reason I stopped modeling. Cause it's like people don't treat you like you're a person, you know, and like. Yeah. I feel like women kind of get dogged that way in films a lot. Like, this could have been, it wasn't for sure, but this could have been the best performance of Jennifer Lawrence's entire career, and they still would have been like, can we see some more tits, Yeah, though? can you pull your shirt down? Just yeah. To, no, I'm talking to you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, like, I hate that. Like, if there's not a purpose for the character to be that character then why are you trying to make me feel that way? Yeah, make like, her college age. Make it a completely age-appropriate relationship. And then sex her the fuck up. I don't give a shit, you know, but you've made her into a teenager. I don't feel like her character in general needed to be She didn't sexed. need to be sexed up. She was supposed to be stronger than that. She comes from a divorced household. She's overcoming an alcoholic mother. She's supposed to be the badass bitch who takes down the serial killer. Well... Think, You've honestly, created a PG-13 film where you're sexualizing a 17-year-old. I think, honestly, her mom, they fell at kind of finishing that arc, but her mom ends up kind of being the person who overcomes. And I would have liked to have seen that story a bit more, this mom who is well, kind that's of why it's so shallow. failure mom who then kind of ends up being the ultimate savior at the end. But, like, Jennifer Lawrence's character could have still been kind of the clueless high schooler. I would have been fine with that. She didn't have to be in college. I think... There are a lot of high schoolers out there who have dated young college boys yeah, early in college. So, like, I'm not even mad at that. I'm mad that we sexualize their relationship when the mom kind of establishes, oh, she's like a bleeding heart character. She wants to fix broken things. Like, why didn't we have more of, like, oh, like, let me just kind of patch your little poor heart instead yeah. of, like, boobs. <laughs> boobs the movie. 
But yeah, I let's develop these fucking characters to make them more Can we do a whole episode on this? Because I like boobs this energy movie. right now. Boobs the movie. No, not boobs the movie, <laughs> but sexualization of women. Like, I... I, I, I I understand in a large part, but I'm not on that side of the game. I'm on this side of the game, but I'm uh, been, new Hollywood. Uh, fuck you, Paramount. Um, I've been sexualized working behind the camera. Like, I have been a crew member. Well, that's what I was implying earlier, was that you, you've been sexualized just as a person on the other end yeah. of it. Like, yeah, I've been on the crew of sets before. As the coffee girl. <laughs> no, as a... No, that's what I meant when I said coffee girl is somebody just, you know, in the atmosphere itself. No, like as an actual, like, contributing... I'm not, no, I'm not trying to be a piece of I'm shit. not just a coffee girl. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Really. Um, I've been the coffee boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been, like, an actual, like, working member of the crew before, not just, like, the, hey, the producer wants coffee, go get yeah, that person. Yeah, like, yeah, an yeah. actual, like... Sound and shit. Well, yeah. yeah, like a person that was responsible for something happening on the set, period, and then had another crew member that worked in a position higher up than me harass me throughout the duration of the filming process, and I was yeah. like, look, I'm not I'm not into you, you know, and like they kept on and kept on, and it's like, okay, just because you work above me and I'm a female on the set yeah. doesn't I'm not going to suck your dick to be the boom yeah. mic operator. Yeah, <laughs> and like, that's a real problem a lot of women face and it's infuriating can we definitely do that on saturday's episode can we talk not specifics but about that topic for at Maybe. least a point sure because i'm i, I really want to hear more about that whole thing sure we that have a whole nother great. topic we gotta wrap up okay so. all right um you want to speed do it because we're an hour in yeah uh less is more let's drop the special effects let's drop the overbearing sound effects let's drop the overbearing music stop relying (laughs) on tricks um and uh when the biggest contribution you have to making me feel scared is somebody running at the camera with a knife out you've probably fucked up the way you've shot this probably fucked up um if you have to blur your scenes with little like weird twitchy lights and jerky motions, then um, yeah. If your film's made in post production, maybe your writing it. is completely shit. Maybe uh, reshoot it. Maybe what would have helped these people is instead of writing at dawn, they woke up three or four hours before, so they could maybe soak up some more ideas out of <laughs> this uh, piece of shit. No, I like this line though. Let's not gloss over this. No, I was using it as a fuck you to the director. <laughs> Which if you ever come across this, you arrogant piece of shit, I'll rip that skin tag right off your fucking cheek, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's character makes a comment about getting up at dawn and Jennifer Lawrence's... Uh, character asks him why he gets up that early and he says all the best ideas haven't been taken yet and i i do think that's kind of a cool concept like uh that was a line arroyo basically told me so i have to hunt down the original source on that mm-hmm. line um, a, but that was his artist take on the early bird gets the worm like if you mm-hmm. greet the morning sun you can like accomplish yeah. all your goals and kind of still the creative thoughts before everybody else gets to them. I just think that's kind of neat. Yeah, and it's the same reason people write late into the night. It's like everybody's asleep right now. Like, it's, it's like so quiet. you forgot quiet. this one, let me, like, yeah. snatch up this idea exactly. and this idea. And Arroyo's thought was, like, you had to wake up at, like, 4 a.m. So you get up, get your coffee, get your shower, and you're at your desk when the sun rises. So you're thinking, and it was the same thing they used to tell us in the military. We get more done by 9 a.m. than most people get done in their entire day. <laughs> I was always a night person before we met. I've kind of shifted the other direction, but uh, 
before we met, I was definitely a stay up till two or three in the morning editing person yeah. and then sleep till noon. No. <laughs> I've shifted the other way, though. I would much prefer to get up at 6 a.m. than, you know, stay up until 6 a.m. I'm, I'm not that level of a drinker anymore. You know, me at 6 a.m. <laughs> well, I've done it sober. I've stayed up till I've, the sun came up yeah, working on shit I've sober. I've never done it sober. <laughs> I've, I've been on substances at 6 o'clock in the morning going, shit, the sun's coming up. i got to be at work in three hours. There's a, there's a memory in my Facebook that comes around, uh, I think around like May, that's like around your birthday, I think, where I posted a post about the fact that I couldn't sleep, so I was doing 1am edits on the dolls. <laughs> it's like, first rough draft edits at 1am, happening right now. <laughs> I found a place where I'm going to get, I'm not going to tell you, never mind. Intrigue. It's still a secret. Okay. <laughs> Uh, final thought, because I thought it was fucking hilarious in the moment. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence straight up tells the dude whose parents are both dead and his sister, as we find out later, is also dead. Uh, it must be nice having grown up with two parents. Both her parents are alive, they just divorced. I definitely said that to somebody who'd recently lost their dad when I was in high school. Because, like, they lost their dad around the time that my parents split up. And they were trying to talk to me drunk at a party. And I can't remember who you are. So if you're listening to this and it's you, I'm very sorry. But we were drinking because mine were splitting up over everything that was going on. And they lost theirs in, like, a car accident or a heart attack or some shit like that. And I was like, I am weirdly envious. That he looking was back gone, on gone it, instead of just leaving. Yeah, so like that that line resonated with me, you know, because I've said something very similar, and it's uh, it, it's the truth, really. <laughs> no, I I think for me the reason it stuck out, my parents are expectation of closure if they're both still alive. <laughs> now that I've you know I lost mine at twenty five, so it my dad mom's still up and moving around, um, <laughs> but. Yeah, after after losing dad, it, it was like no, the, the 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 problem is a lack of closure, and it hurts enough not being able to close the book. You know, losing him at twenty five, let alone you know fifteen, yeah. would have been a bastard. So. Yeah, and I I think for me the reason this line stuck out, I mean for one the comedy of it that yeah, someone whose parents are alive, uh, doesn't appreciate the experience of someone's parents who are not alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an innate human reaction, though, especially when you're younger. I think maybe as we get older, we kind of learn not to be so self-centered, though. But If you don't, then you're a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I personally have been through difficult experiences that probably weren't quite as difficult as I thought they were and thought the whole wide world was ending and I had it worse than anyone else who has ever had it and why me you know and then as I got older and I kind of learned god damn it I got a D on my report card (laughs) as I got older and I kind of learned what my painful experiences meant to me personally like I, Mm -hmm. I feel like it kind of opened me up to appreciating both the beauty and pain of other people's experiences like you learn to empathize with other people i think when you've been through pain so definitely like 
like the idea that your pain is more significant or more important or somehow bigger than someone else's pain is literally just your perspective in the moment and I think you lack empathy until you have something you can connect it to. Yeah. 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 And and divorce I'm sure is painful. I've never been through that. My it was the volatilization of my dad more than it was, <laughs> you know, anything against no. anybody in the real world. I took that shit out on people because yeah. I didn't know how to cope with it. Yeah. And, and now I can kinda go back in time and hug little teenage Brett and be like, Hey shit dick no. Everything is fucked up. You're right about that, but the way you're reacting to it is not good. <laughs> and I think loss on any level, whether it's permanent loss or kind of loss of stability is, you know, a painful experience to go through. But, like, for me, this line is both silly and profound because I, I think for me it's a, a, a moment to kind of pause and recognize that maybe whatever you're experiencing isn't the most important thing in the exact moment yeah. and, like, learning to recognize other people's pain and other people's experiences allow us to be more open, like, well-rounded, fulfilled people and kind of embrace the world around us a bit more. And I think, as creative people, this is a weird way to close this episode, but no, as, no, no, no. <laughs> as creative people... We screamed about sexualization of women <laughs> in film. I want that to be the first thing we talk about on Saturday. So, yeah. <laughs> but as creative people, when we kind of accept our pain as moments of growth and accept our pain as ways of connecting with other people who have been through these experiences or worse experiences, you know, that we can find more fulfilling and meaningful ways to express the human experience as a whole. So, like, this movie is about something potentially very traumatic and terrifying, and it falls so short of the mark, and if, if we as creative people when we're making our art and producing our art and letting our art out into the world kind of embrace the collective experience that everyone else around us is experiencing yeah. when we're making this art it's more meaningful for all of us so worse is like worse experience is subjective yeah. like it's painful to everybody every day like it's not you know like the things that i keep me awake, you know, or make me have the weird dream, you know. Or you spontaneously elbow me in the back. Yeah, my bad. (laughs) (laughs) Wars is subjective. But you need to be able to dive into your worst. Or other people's worst, or the the worst that the world has to offer, so that... When you've been through some shit, though, you know, either collectively or individually, I can tell when you're not diving, you know, like a therapist. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, and then what happened? And how did that make you feel? Yeah. Like, those simple fucking questions. And it's like, no, if you're going to go there, if you're going to dive into your worst, I, I can tell feel you... feel the pain. Yeah, I can tell when you're not there. I can tell when you're trying to, you know, so-and-so your story, as opposed to his name was Bill, you know? <laughs> Whatever yeah. the thing was. Like, I, I want to know the truth of... My parents were addicts. My sister died when I, we were children. Mm-hmm. My parents couldn't deal with the grief. The town doesn't accept me. And... I snapped. Yeah, like, I, I want to know the actual heartbreak that is... I can't bear the loss of my parents and of my sister, and I can't bear the loss of identity that I grew up being my sister my whole life, and now I don't know who I am as a person, so I need a physical representation of her to carry on as a person. Like, I want to know 
the grief of that. And like I, I think whenever, like I said, we're we're writing or we're filming or we're painting or whatever. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I think it's important for us to like acknowledge our pain and other people's pain and the pain of the world yeah. and to be true to whatever that is. I couldn't agree more. That was beautiful. I try. <laughs> it's a lot of bullshit most of the time, I think. <laughs> People are probably rolling their eyes listening what to you it. Said, or? Uh, yeah, the way I word most of the stuff I say. People are no. like, no, she's just rambling. <laughs> no, you're not rambling. I, I was going to ask you a follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Um, can I? Sure. You, I'm almost out of beer, so... like. Maybe this could get added to our podcast on Saturday. On the next episode. On the next episode. Mistakes were made. Do you think now that we've... We, we haven't killed it dead, um, of course. Not you and I, but us as a society. Mm-hmm. And the coronavirus. Maybe one positive takeaway from the coronavirus. Now that we've killed old Hollywood and introduced podcasting, do you think that camera gets a little closer? I don't know. I think it's a... I don't know. It's a loss if we don't, I guess. Like, I... Like, we're all collectively in pain. Yeah. Like, I personally feel like which this is probably a topic for the next episode. I personally feel like the low, 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 like I don't think I'll ever get out of these moments of my life were some of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, It's very hard to see that in the moment. Um, You're scared shitless to move here. Here we are. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's incredibly difficult to see that in the moment, but every moment that I have on some level found the ability to at least accept, even if I haven't overcome them yet, has made me grow so much as a person that I I wouldn't undo them if I could. Like, if I could go back and take back those moments that I've been through, I wouldn't. And um, I posted a post, a, no, not a year ago, uh, four years ago today, I think it was in my memories today on Facebook, where... Um, I reshared a photo. I'd been wearing a dress and I was going to a film festival for a movie I'd worked on and like very excited in that moment. And then I reshared it four years ago today because I had made the final decision to go back to college and kind of take a break from my professional career. How scary was that? It was scary because a lot of things in my life were ending at the same time. There were a lot of things that I had um, had more faith in, I guess, in my life that were coming to an end at that exact moment. And, um, going back to school was kind of a way of pushing the rest of my life forward. And um, I remember not feeling very happy about it in the moment, but the post that I shared four years ago was like a, I'm, I'm making this decision to kind of like move my life forward and here's to the future and here's to the things that are to come and like the beauty of being in these moments again and appreciating these yeah. moments again. And like, I, I think if we discount how collectively traumatic being this isolated or being like in this pandemic together 
having to acknowledge these painful moments. Getting married. And... <laughs> well, that's not traumatic. No, but it's a positive yeah. thing that I can pull the camera in on forever about how traumatic this yeah. is. Yeah, like if, if we don't take the opportunity to take something away from these moments, we're doing ourselves a great disservice. Like I, I think every horrible moment that's ever happened to me has elevated me as a person. And mm. when you take these things that are supposed to break you down as a person and use them to build yourself back up and then acknowledge, like you and I have had absurd fights, you know, that <laughs> like later on we were like, what are we doing? Like, this is ridiculous. And like three days later, are you really so mad at me about that? <laughs> yeah. For fuck's sake. And you and I have like taken those moments to like kind of grow into our relationship yeah. and like grow into knowing each other better as people. And like, I, I think when you don't take those moments to recognize your own pain and your own growth and the growth that still needs to happen and the pain in other people and the growth that they're going through, like you're missing out on the experience that is living. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think ideally in a perfect world, because we've as a world, not even just as a nation gone through this experience together. I don't know. Our, our, the way we treat our children or our families or our art or something should be more compassionate and more Being compelling. Being more kind, my and, friends. Yeah. And there should kind. be more depth yeah. to everything that we do. And, I mean, this movie came out in, like, 2012, but... 9-11 had happened, and that did not impact that. Yeah, <laughs> these, these movies are not the movies we should be making. These stories are not the stories we should be telling. If we're going to dive into this, dive into this. And I, I want to shake the core of everyone who watches it. So, my weird drunken ramble. Yeah, let's... No, dive into this. That's what <laughs> we're going to do on the next episode. It'll hit you guys on Saturday. Um, I wish we could keep going. <laughs> I wish can't. that it was three in the <laughs> afternoon. I wish I could pour another beer. And... This is a two-star. We can't dive. I know, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, we're getting away from the film, thank God, um, and hitting some heavy fucking subjects. I, I'm very proud of us for this one, and I can't wait to try to dive a bit deeper if we can try to be this vulnerable um, at the end of the week. That would be fantastic, because I, I, I feel that we've hit some things that you really want to talk about, and I'm kind of seeing you break out of your shell a little bit of rage, a little bit of anger just a, a little bit of militant positivity <laughs> you're rubbing off on me <laughs> I try but in the meantime guys, go watch Brainstorm at yeah. um, it is both on youtube.com slash nightmareboxproductions and the nightmarebox.blog and that's the only thing I think I'm going to plug this week the script is on the nightmarebox.blog, so if you're going to view it somewhere, um, I would say probably the website, because it redirects to the YouTube anyway, so we're still getting the views on YouTube if you watch it on there. But more importantly, um, if you go to the website and watch it on the website, if you hover over where it says films, a drop-down for scripts pops up, and you can read the script for it and kind of see collectively where Brett and I... Um, I guess clashed and both intermingled <laughs> at the same time like our I think our individual perspectives are this weird harmony of where we didn't quite see to eye, eye to eye and then we did yeah. so it's always fun I think for me at least to kind of see 
what was the original written word and what it became and like how we kind Mm -hmm. of like met in the middle and where we kind of diverged and you kind of like think get a sense of both of us as individual artists mm-hmm. when you kind of see those side by the side. The ABC is the same and almost everything in the middle is different. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun to see those side by side and that's part of the reason we released them both um, so you guys can see Brett's script and then see kind of where we took it afterwards of six months of filming. <laughs> <laughs> For seven fucking minutes. Yeah. Alright sweetheart, I love you. I love you. I'm going to go make my beautiful wife some sketty. I'm going to try to talk her into Narcos. No, fucking literally anything else but Narcos at this point. She doesn't I'll believe I'll watch the him. other film one with you. Oh, the Brian De Palma. Yeah, Ooh, we have to talk about the Kubrick. Oh, <laughs> well, you damn it. <laughs> no, I didn't break it. I picked up and it flipped. Yeah, we can do that. So Kubrick slash De Palma mm-hmm. ducks. Slash fucking teens and movies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Don't do it in the movies. Okay, I love you guys. And I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And we'll talk to you on Saturday with another heavy hitter episode of The Mistakes Money. I don't know how to beatbox or I'd beatbox for you. All right, we'll see you later.